right, good morning, Three Circle Church. Good to be with you guys today. Hey, you guys at all of our campuses, man, we're glad that you're joining us. If you will bear with me today, I sound like a mix between Michael Bolton and Brian Adams right now. And if you, if you don't know who those guys are, if you're too young for that, just think singing and speaking through sandpaper, okay? So uh, I don't know if any of you are struggling with the cold and the, <clears throat> the uh, allergies and all that kind of stuff, but I am today. So, uh, but you know what? Sometimes you got to got to play injured. All right, guys. So if y'all will hang in there with me, if you'll bear with me, that'll be awesome. At all of our campuses right now, we're so glad all of us are together today, worshiping Jesus. Look, I've been doing this a long time and I still can't get over Sundays. They just, I love it. I can't get over how awesome Sundays are. And I love teaching the word of God. And I'm still amazed. Like when we hold in our hands today, the word of God, and, and in particular, today we're looking at a, at an ancient diary, basically. This man, Nehemiah, wrote down his memoir. He wrote down his prayer journal. And God, through the Holy Spirit, uh, breathed that through him and also preserved it. All these years, we have this guy's story. It is phenomenal. Let's never as a church, at any campus, ever underappreciate what we hold in our hands when we hold the Word of God. Amen? And so today, we're going to go to Nehemiah again. And I want to remind you a few things before we get started. We're going to go chapter by chapter for the first six ch chapters of the book. We did chapter one <clears throat> last week, and I think it helps to, to know who Nehemiah is. So <clears throat> the one thing you need to know about the book of Nehemiah is it's not about Nehemiah. As much as it is about Nehemiah in a secondary sense, it's about God. God's the star of the story. Uh, it's secondarily about leadership, secondarily about building a wall, secondarily about how to inspire people, how to deal with conflict. We're going to learn all that. But it is primarily about the faithfulness of the living God who preserves his people and keeps his promises. And that's what we see. And I want that to stay front and center. It also points to Jesus. It points to Jesus because while Nehemiah built a wall to protect his people, Jesus gave his life to cleanse his people. Nehemiah and many other leaders did many great things to carry God's people along. But it was all leading to the grand event on Calvary where Jesus would do with a cross and then an empty tomb what no walls ever did for Jerusalem, what no temple ever did. Jesus took over all that in himself and became our salvation. Amen? That's who Jesus is. So that's the start of the story of Nehemiah. Now we learned who Nehemiah was last week. Nehemiah is a man who was born in captivity. There were two different captivities basically. Uh, one was Babylonian and then the Persians took over. And the reason God allowed the Israelites to end up in captivity is because they needed discipline, like your kids do sometimes, like I did when I was a kid. Uh, you have to be disciplined. Well, God is a good father, and as the people of Israel drifted from him, he's going to bring them back. He did that through discipline. And he did that by allowing the Babylonians to defeat them. And when they did, they destroyed the city of Jerusalem. The temple and the walls were torn down. So they became, in an instant, the laughingstock of the entire Middle East. If you don't have a wall around your city, you don't really have a city anymore. You're a joke. And so the once proud Jerusalem became a joke, a laughingstock for the entire region. 95% of the people were in exile in Babylon. They were slaves. Then Persia, the bigger bully on the block, took over. And the Israelites went to bed one night under Babylon, and they woke up the next day under Persia. But the Persians were different than the Babylonians. The Persians were like, hey, we'll let this thing breathe a little bit. If you stay loyal to us, we might let you have a little 
moving room. The Babylonians would have never done that. So under a series of kings, we see the Persians begin to loosen the grip a little bit. And you remember Esther, the story of Esther? You remember her story where the Persian king allows her to do some things. Well, now Nehemiah is going to do the same thing. Now, I don't want you to miss the hand of God's providence in this. Why did the Babylonians keep it so tight for 70 years? And then another empire comes in, stronger, more powerful, but loosens the grip a little bit. Because God uses a surgical precision when he disciplines his children. And when Babylon lost out to Persia, that was God saying discipline time is starting to come to an end. I'm going to let you go back to Jerusalem. See how that works? God is perfect in his time. You can't even see what he's doing sometimes. And he is absolutely in control. So we're going to pick up the story because last week we learned that Nehemiah is the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. Say that five times fast. Why the Persians couldn't come up with good names like John and Bob, I don't know. Artaxerxes. He's the king now. And... Nehemiah is the cupbearer, which means he's in close proximity. He works in the palace. He tastes the wine every day and the food before the king gets it, in case it's poisoned. (laughs) I think I told you last week, if I were Nehemiah, there's no doubt at least once I would have tasted the wine and then said, (laughs) and then went, no, I'm just kidding. And again, that's why the Persians would have killed me fast. (laughs) I would have kept my job. But as we look at Nehemiah, I want you to remember that Nehemiah has an unbelievably comfortable position. He lives in the palace. He's, some say in the ancient world, the cupbearer to the king would sometimes be closer to him than his own wife, depending on the relationship, right? He trusted this man with his life. So they become conversational maybe even, right? But it was still a very precarious situation because the king of Persia had ultimate power. And there were things you did and did not do around the king. Nehemiah is going to break all those rules. And we saw last week that he prayed one of the best prayers ever recorded in the entire Bible, I would argue. Theological, God-centered and God-honoring, not selfish, not self-serving. It's a beautiful prayer that we could model our prayer life after. But at the end of that prayer, what did we see last week? He makes a decision. He's going to the king. And he's going to ask to go back to Jerusalem. Now, That's where we pick up the story today. Let's go to Nehemiah 2, 1 through 5, which is not in your handout. So it's going to be on the screen. So we're going to look at it together at all the campuses right now. And let's look what the Bible says. It says, in the month of Nisan. Now, you would have thought Persia would have been Toyota people, but no. No. Voice sitting there, but sense of humor still intact. All right. In the month of Nisan. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine. And I want you to understand how tense the moment is. Because this is his job, okay? I gave it to the king. Now, I had never been sad in his presence. He's letting you know he is visibly sad over Jerusalem. This was breaking the rules. You don't do this. Look what happens. The king said to me, why is your face sad? Seeing you are not sick. This is nothing but sadness of heart. And Nehemiah is honest enough in his prayer journal to let you know he is terrified. He says, then I was very much afraid. Why is he so afraid? Because in that moment, he could be executed for that. That he just broke the rules. And now he's all in. But this is the first time he's risked 
his life. So he said to the king, I love how he starts, let the king live forever. That's a good start, Nehemiah. (laughs) He says, why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And just pause. Wait a minute. He's in a back and forth with the king. And he says that he prayed to the God of heaven, like in the middle of it. When the king says to him, what are you requesting? Nehemiah says, and I prayed to the God of heaven. Did he stop and get on his knees? Hang on one second, our tech services. Let me pray. I don't think that's how it happened. And I think that's going to, I think Nehemiah's teaching us something here. We're going to learn it in just a minute. So then after he prays, he says, he says to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. So he's been very clear. Now look, now he's really risking even more because the king has built this trust with him and he's saying, you're going to need to get another cupbearer. I'm asking for you to let me go. I'm asking you to let me go. This is really, really tough. I want you to write it down. Nehemiah has taken a great risk here of his position. So even if the king does not have him executed, let's say he's merciful. Probably the king would say, but you can't, do, you can't be in my palace anymore. If you're going to walk in here like this, you can't be the guy that's literally protecting my life every day. Can't do that. He's risking his relationship with this king. He's risking his future. And make no mistake, he's risking his life by approaching the king. And you, if you don't understand that level of risk, you can't appreciate what Nehemiah is doing. He's putting it all on the line. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you put anything on the line for your faith? When's the last time you put anything in your life at risk, at discomfort, at possibility of calamity for the glory of God? Nehemiah was willing to. And I think we learned last week, I had a shovel on stage. All of our campuses, we talked about the shovel and the idea that we need to put the spade in the dirt. All of us said, Nehemiah is teaching us that we all have things in our lives that we need to go to work on. The walls can't just stay in ruins forever. But I want to tell you, last week we focused on where do you need to dig? Where do you need to get to work in your life? Nehemiah knew what it was him to do and in order to figure out where you need to dig you need to pray first see he's got that sequence he prays then he acts he does not plan and then ask God to bless his plans he prays then he acts and he'll do this throughout the story but I think that I need to remind us all that in order to dig in order to get the shovel in our hand and go to work in our lives where we need to it requires something it requires getting out of one of these Every time. You can't rebuild a wall laying in a recliner. Now I like recliners. I mean, they're awesome, right? I don't have one in my house because, well, I just don't. But my wife wouldn't let me. But, man, I grew up. My grandparents had uh, the recliners. My great-grandmother had a recliner. She kept the plastic on it for a long, long time. Kind of like everybody loves Raymond, if you all remember her couch. That was my great-grandmother. And uh, you just slide right off of it. You'd sit in it and it's plastic. You just slide right off. But man, they're so comfy, aren't they? 
But here's the deal. You can't, you can't fix your marriage if you stay comfortable with where it is. And I know that it's hard grabbing the shovel and having that first conversation and saying, hey, our marriage is broken. We need to fix it. Let's go to work. That's a hard conversation, but it requires getting out of the recliner. Some of us have gotten way too comfortable where our families are. We're just kind of letting life happen. We're going to wake up one day and we've got the kid driving out of the driveway going to college. You walk back into the house, into their empty room, and you go, huh, that happened fast. Did I pray for them enough or with them enough? Did I impact them enough? The recliner looks comfortable, but if we're not careful, it's a thief. It's a thief. It'll rob from you some of your best years, some of your best moments. If you fight for comfort, instead of getting up and grabbing a shovel, you'll lose a decade of what could have been great marriage. You'll lose, you'll, you'll lose years of staying connected with your kids. You may lose years of mental health that could have been stronger had you just picked up the shovel and said, I'm not going to stay in this recliner. I'm not going to be comfortable with, with being unhealthy in these areas of my life. Nehemiah's like, we're, look, there had been tons of people around Jerusalem that, that had let the walls sit there for 100 years. 100 years. It had been like that. They got comfortable with the ruins. They were comfortable with the ruins. Don't be comfortable with the ruins, guys. Don't do that. So Nehemiah is going to do something about it. And then he models for us a healthy prayer life. Last week, he taught us how to pray. Now he teaches us that you can pray all the time. Literally, he's in the middle of the conversation with Artaxerxes. You just slow down when you say that name. Artaxerxes. That'd be a good name for like a cat. (laughs) Artaxerxes. Right? He's in the middle of his conversation with this king and he prays. Now, there was a verse in the New Testament that I always thought, "How how do I do this? How do I apply this verse to my life? In fact, I always thought it was impossible. Let's read it, Ephesians 6, 18. The Apostle Paul says, pray at all times in the Spirit, at all times. One version says, without ceasing, prayer and supplication. Pray at all times. And I always thought, that is a command, that is an imperative. It's the imperative form in the Greek. But how can I do that? I got to sleep at night, don't I? I have to eat. I have to live life. And then Nehemiah, if you just look back into the Old Testament, actually showed you how you do it. One old writer said this, what the Bible's teaching you is not that you're to pray all the time, like stop and pray all the time. You couldn't live life. What it's saying is, is that Christians need to know that we can live in a perpetual posture of prayer. A perpetual posture of prayer. Posture, there it is. We can do that. And and what that means is the Christian knows that even if we're standing in front of the king, we can pray in our heart to a God that hears us. The king doesn't even know what's going on. What Nehemiah is telling you is that the God, one of God's attributes is he knows all things. He knows your heart and mind. And that literally, 
as Artaxerxes was saying to him, what's your request? Nehemiah says, before I even made that request, I prayed to the God of heaven. Maybe it was just a God be with me in his heart. And what Nehemiah is showing you is you can have that too in your own life. You can pray. You can be in a perpetual posture of prayer. As a Christian, you can know going down the road, in the shower, uh, in a tough meeting, when you're about to meet with your boss, when you're taking the chemo, when you're having that hard day, when you got that big decision. You have God accessible to you at all times so we can live in a perpetual posture of prayer. And that has been given to us by Jesus. Jesus guaranteed it for all time. We have access to our Father. Nehemiah models it for us, which is why I say he's one of the best theologians in the Old Testament who didn't even try to be. He just was. We also see here the decisiveness and clarity which he has. Like he didn't mince words. When he got the opportunity, he said, here's what I need to do. I need to go rebuild the walls. That came from his time with God. This guy was decisive because he spent time with God, not because he was such a great leader. That's the thing. If you look at Nehemiah, you're going to see he wasn't a leader. He was not a leader. He had never led anything. He always grabbed the bottle of Pinot, poured it in the glass. Wait 30 seconds. Think I'm okay. Here you go. Take it to the king. That was his job every day. He never led anything. See, God doesn't need your resume to use you. He needs you to say yes to him. Oh, he loves taking people that got no business being used by him and use them. Nehemiah's just cupbearer to the king. He's just keep, keeping the king alive. He's basically the poison tester all these years. And yet God's going to use him and give him clarity and give him courage because he spends time with God. He may have been a nobody to a lot of people, but he was well known in the halls of heaven because that guy was always talking to the Lord. So God uses him. What happens next? Well, the king said to me, verse six, with the queen, I love the detail. The queen was right next to him. <clears throat> How long will you be gone and when will you return? Anybody know what just happened? The king just said yes. The king says, how long will you be gone? Don't you know in that moment, Nehemiah goes, oh, 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 yes. I'm not going to die. So it pleased the king to send me when, I give, when I'd given him a time. And I said to the king, also, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I will occupy. So the king granted me what I asked. Everybody hit pause to leave this up at all the campuses. Right here is where a lot of people go, what a great leader Nehemiah is. Look how persuasive he is. Look how strong he is. But Nehemiah never thought that about himself. Once again, he says, the king gave me everything I asked for, and I knew why. For the good hand of my God was upon me. I keep coming back to that. I keep studying this book, and I keep going, oh, man, I want that in my life. 
I want it for you. I want everyone at Three Circle to be able to go. I can't explain my life except this way. The good hand of a good God has been upon me. That's how I explain it. I don't know how to explain how good he's been to me. I don't know how to explain my family and where I am and what God's. I just know this, the hand of God has been on my life. I just give him all the credit, right? I want us all to be able to say that. Nehemiah was like, this is why. And look at what he gave him. He basically asked the king for two things. I need a Home Depot card. I need lumber and tools and all that. King's like, done. And he said, and I need all the other governors because Persia was broken into these areas, just like Rome. And Persia put governors up in those areas. Of course, they would all compete with each other and all that. But the one area that was the laughing stock of all, you guessed it, was Judah, Jerusalem. The walls were torn down. So he said, look, I need letters from you that tells all these people, number one, I can walk through, I can come, I can get what I need, and they'll leave me alone. Done. It's amazing, isn't it? See, God always provides for what he has planned. Don't ever forget that. If it's your plan, it's on you to provide for it. If it's God's plan, it's on him. That's why Nehemiah was careful to pray before he acted, always. Because if you're not careful, you will make plans and then ask God to bless them. And if that's the case, then it's not God's job to provide for your plans. You go provide for them. But if you live life saying, God, what's your plans? I want to be on your agenda, on your schedule. When you do like Nehemiah, God's the one that provides, and that's the way to roll. That's the way to go. God provides <clears throat> for his plans. But always remember this. Everybody else may be happy when you start digging. When you start digging and you say, I'm going to change some things in my life, in my marriage, my family, my health, whatever it is. When you know that God's given you some vision, some direction, and you go faithfully to work, some people will cheer you on and be happy. But how many of you know there's always that guy? There's always that guy. There's always that person in your life when you go on the diet that keeps wanting to take you to get a Big Mac. Right? You're trying to eat right, and every time you're around them, they're like, let's get some chicken wings. There's always detractors. And there were for Nehemiah. So Nehemiah's going to these governors. Hey, here's my letter. I'm going back to Jerusalem. I'm going to rebuild Jerusalem. They're like, huh, wow. But he comes to these two guys that are threatened by it. Look what it says, when Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Don't ever forget this. Powerful people are often threatened when weak people flourish. And also don't forget this. Sometimes you may end up being the one in power or the one in a place of prestige, or the one in a place of blessedness that feels threatened when someone else gets blessed too. And this is a rule for you to remember in the kingdom of God. God's big enough to bless your neighbor and you too. You don't have to want other people to be weak so that you can be strong. You don't have to tear others down to build yourself up. That's not how we're to live. 
But these people are showing you that there'll always be people like that in your life when you start trying to work on your marriage. When you get out of the recliner, there'll be people saying, come on, man. Because see, you getting out of your recliner and getting to work on the things of God in your life will make them feel like they got to get out of their recliner too. So they'll begin to pull you back and you got to not listen to them. Watch out for it. So Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem. This is the first time in his life he's ever been there. <clears throat> this is important. Because he could have just done all of this from Persia. He could have delegated all this. But he didn't. He went himself. Not only that, before he gives his first big speech to the people who are in Jerusalem, he goes and looks at the walls himself. Himself. It says here, <clears throat> Then I went up in the night by the valley, and I inspected the wall. And I turned back, and I entered by the valley gate, and then I returned. No one knew. The officials didn't know where I'd gone or where I was going, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles. I had not told the officials and the rest who were to do the work. And then I said to them, you see, you see the trouble that we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And then Nehemiah says, and I told them, that the hand of God had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And then they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. What a good moment. You know what's amazing to me? Those people had been looking at those walls for a hundred years. Walking by every day going, boy, isn't that sad? Boy, it's too bad those walls are torn down. And they just kept walking. It took someone standing up and saying, this has to change. This has to change. And if you're here today and you're one of those people that keeps looking at issues in life and you think someone should do something about that, I have a challenge for you today. You are that someone in your home, in your marriage, in your family, in your job, in your community. Stop passing the shovel. And pick it up yourself and dig. And watch what God will do when someone stands up and says, this needs to change. You might just find that a lot of people have been waiting on someone to say that. They were all ready to go. Keep this in mind. There's no full substitution for your presence. You can't delegate some things. Nehemiah realized he needed to go see the wall. He needed to be there. Folks, you cannot delegate parenting. You can't. Nothing will ever take the place of you. Here at Three Circle, we have amazing ministries for families, for kids, for students. They are not designed to parent your kid. They are designed intentionally to partner with you because there is no substitution for your presence in your family. There's no substitution for your presence in your marriage, your real presence, being there, caring, inspecting the wall, making sure it's good and strong. There's no substitution for that. Folks, don't delegate out what you were meant to dig yourself. So Nehemiah looks at the walls himself. And that gives him the legitimacy to look at the people and say, hey, I looked at the walls. It's bad. 
and it's going to stop now. And then he does something that all leaders have to do. All good parents do it. All good spouses do it. Pastors, leaders have to do this. Effective leadership requires painting a compelling picture of a preferred future that will lead people to action. We're doing that with this initiative. We're saying, hey, here's some things that every single campus needs that'll help us go further. Just painting the picture that'll hopefully lead us to action. But, but, but now that's not what this is primarily about. <clears throat> what in your life, what in our communities as churches, as Christians, as spouses, as parents, as grandparents, what do we need to begin to paint a picture and say, hey, here's where we are. Here's where I think we could go. Compelling, believe it. What would that look like if we all began to do that? Folks, we could change the, the world around us. When we become proactive in this way, those walls would have sat in ruins for another 200 years. And I, I just want to let everyone in the room know, <clears throat> we just don't have time for that. Anybody notice how fast time's passing by? I woke up a few months ago, 45. 45? No way. I'm like 27. But the clock is saying 45. What used to be pepper is now salt and pepper. That's what my daughter tells me. And she likes to derisively look at me sometimes and go, looks like there's a little more salt and pepper, daddy, going on up there. The girl gives me a hard time. The clock is ticking. You just don't have time. If your kid's a junior right now, he's going to be a senior next year. When are you going to say, we're going to work as a family to be connected and have joy in this home and follow Jesus? When are you going to get intentional? When are you? Listen, I don't know what your clocks look like, but when are you going to wake up and say, I'm not going to let the wall stay torn down a minute longer. I'm going to take action in these areas of my life. The clock's ticking. You don't have time. So let's get after it, right? That's what Nehemiah does. He says, it's time to build now. We don't need to talk about it. We've been talking about it for 100 years. Let's go. Let's go. But of course, there's always the detractors. When the word got out that they were about to start working, old Sam Ballot and Tobiah, they jumped on Facebook. <laughs> and they made fun of them. They said, what's this thing you're doing? You're rebelling against the king, which of course they weren't. They had permission. So Nehemiah had to reply and say, nope, nope. The God of heaven will make us prosper. You have no claim or right to the city of Jerusalem. It's not yours anymore. We're going to build the wall. Don't miss this. Remember the first time we heard from these two dudes, they told you their true heart. They were threatened. They're scared about Jerusalem coming back. Now they try to act like they don't care. You guys are fools. Don't ever miss this. Fear and jealousy will masquerade in the attacks of criticism, slander, and minimization. Belittling. Always know that's fear talking. That's insecurity talking. And those people will always be around. And in order to follow Jesus, you're going to have to ignore that stuff. And I think one of the big principles of the day that I keep seeing with Nehemiah is where we're going to end today. I think we all know in our lives there's places we need to start digging and working, Right? Don't do that until you spend time with the Lord. And then even as you're digging, keep praying. Let's have a perpetual posture of prayer in our lives. Because you don't just need him 
before you get to work. You need him while you're working. You need him after you're done working. You need him, as the song says, every hour as we get to work in our lives to the glory of God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word today. May we live it out and apply it in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.